0: I've just kind of realized that there are a lot of people out here right now that want to go out into the wilderness but don't have the resources. And so if I could be that connection or that bridge, um, I want to do that.
1: Welcome to Big Red Canoe, the podcast from Friends of the Boundary Waters Wilderness, where we introduce you to captivating people and intriguing stories from America's treasured wilderness. I'm Dave Meyer. Grab a paddle and hop on in! When many of us think of the Boundary Waters, we think about paddling and portaging. But there are also a number of hiking trails throughout the Boundary Waters. From day hikes that give you a new perspective on the lakes you've paddled, to multi-day wilderness backpacking trails that will test and reward you, the Boundary Waters abounds with hiking opportunities. And when you're in the wilderness, you might pause to think about how the beautiful places you know and love in the wilderness are the result of hard work by many people over many years. One of those ways that people can contribute is through joining a trail crew to volunteer in the Boundary Waters. If you're interested in volunteering on a trail crew, you can find out more about those trips on our website at friends-bwca.org. Here to talk with me about trail clearing today is Michelle Kwan. Not the Olympic figure skater, this is the Michelle Kwan who grew up on the West Bank in Minneapolis at Kiefer Court, the Chinese bakery right down the street from Midwest Mountaineering. And despite living so close to this iconic Twin Cities outdoor store, it wasn't until Michelle was an adult that she became interested in going to the Boundary Waters. And unlike many of us who took our first BWCA trips paddling, Michelle first got started through trail clearing, and that has opened her up to a world of wilderness possibilities, bringing her restaurant experience to camp cooking, and especially in helping new people, particularly BIPOC groups, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, to experience the wilderness. So thank you for joining us, Michelle. Can you tell us more about how you got started with trail clearing trips?
0: Yeah, Um. so... I had actually lived in China for about five years, and I did my first ever, you know, hiking, backpacking trip while I was there and kind of fell in love with that idea of just being out in the woods and walking around, just carrying everything you have. And so when I moved back to the States, um, someone told me about the Boundary Waters, how it's just in northern Minnesota. I'd never heard of it after growing up here my whole life, never heard of it, and so I um, When I came back, Midwest Mountaineering had their outdoor expo that fall, and I um, stopped at the Boundary Water um, table booth that was there and was asking about volunteering, and for some reason, that gentleman, instead of having me join their group, he pointed to someone and said, you should talk to that person. And that person was uh, Wendy Paulson, uh, Bear Paulson's younger sister, and she leads trail clearing trips on her own. So instead of with an organization, she does it on her own with some of her close friends. And I just kind of said, hey, someone told me to talk to you about going up to the Boundary Waters. And they said, great. And so that spring, I ended up going on a trip with a bunch of strangers. I actually didn't know anybody. I had only met Wendy that one time and then through email. And she said, we're going up. You want to come with us? And so I went up there and and we uh, cleared a bit of the, I can't even think of the name of the trail now. It's on the western side.
1: Uh, Hustler, Sioux Hustler? Hust- Sioux Hustler.
0: There mm-hmm. we go. There we go. Yep, we were on the Sioux Hustler. And, I mean, I've done hiking. I've done a little bit of outdoor stuff back then. But I, I was. this was all very new to me. And when I got out there on that boat in the middle of nowhere and got to see how pristine the water was and seeing the forest and everything. I just, I felt very at home when I got there. And when we were doing the trail clearing stuff, you know, I was working with my hands and just really felt one with Mother Earth. And I remember being up there and just always had this big smile on my face and I was like, I love this place, I love this. And so, After that, um, the next season, next year, I did another trip with Wendy, and then I didn't do many trips after that. A couple years later, I meet up with Wendy again to do another trail clearing trip, and she offers to take me to um, an all-woman's trip later that summer because she goes, I think you can hack it out here. Because, you know, on the woman's trip, they go pretty far in. They do about 7 to 10 days where the trail clearing trip is only 2 to 3 days. And so she took me on that. I fell in love with, you know, being out there and not just doing trail clearing, but actually canoeing and, and getting to experience traveling further in. Then she invited me to do the winter trips as well. And so now I've seen the Boundary Waters in all of its different seasons. And ever since then, I'm going up two to three times a year now for like the past four years, five years. So
1: so what's the goal when you're trail clearing? Are you balancing usability with keeping a balance with nature?
0: So my, my theory is my goal while I'm up there to clear is to make sure that the path is passable. We're not trying to manicure it so that there's this wide path. We're not, we don't want the wide path. We want to make sure that it still feels very natural while you're up there. And so we're not you know, getting down on our hands and knees and cutting all the little trees, but if what we're looking for is down trees and big logs that are blocking people from continuing on the trail and having to create a side trail around it, because we don't want to disturb more of the forest than we need to. So if we see a big tree or a log that's fallen down, um, we either try to move it off to the side or we cut through it so that there's at least a pathway still on the trail to get past the the stump. Um, Sometimes if the stump is low enough and you can step over it, we'll kind of leave that there because we really want people while they're up there to still feel like they're out in the wild, that you know, there's no one out here every day making sure that it's extra wide, extra easy to walk. Because I think that's why people go up there is to really feel like they're in that nature and that natural world.
1: And what about the ground itself? there can be some real muddy spots. Do you do things to make it easier to walk?
0: Um, So sometimes we kind of take a look, you know, it's all, it's mostly to our discretion. There's no rules or guidelines that they say you have to do this or you don't have to do this. But um, we kind of think as a hiker ourselves, as we're walking along this, if we see a big bog that when we try to walk through, our entire shoe goes into the water, we'll say, hey, there's some logs over here We'll put them on top of that area so that at least it's easier to walk through for some folks so that, you know, they're not getting wet boots and whatnot or sinking too far in. Um, but you know, sometimes if, if we see like a big area that's super muddy and we're like, I wouldn't want a soggy boot. And you know, if there's something we can lay on top for people to cross over.
1: How's a trail clearing trip different than more of a recreational trip?
0: Um, It's a completely different scenery because you're not on the lakes anymore. When you're on the lakes paddling, you get this expansive view of the Boundary Waters. You get to see the ridges, the treetops, and you're on the lake. Um, When you're on the trail, you're in the forest most of the time. You actually, I noticed that like, or at least the section that I've hiked, you don't get very many lake views. Every once in a while you might pass through an area and you'll kind of walk along the lake for a bit. What I don't like about the trail is the mosquitoes the bugs the ticks i mean i remember last year while i was clearing i was going i've never experienced this many ticks or mosquitoes before being up here but you're in the bushes and so it gets it gets a little wild and the campsites aren't as nice you know at least when you're on the lake you get to paddle around to the different campsites a lot of times you get peninsulas or islands right but these ones and especially last year when we went in the spring it was really high water levels. so the the shore was covered with water and you get a very small area to put your tent and sometimes it's at a slope so you end up last year I ended up walking 8 miles in on the first day before I found a decent campsite and even then I was kind of in the bushes and I've never seen ticks on a tent the way I saw ticks on a tent there like I would just look up and you see spots everywhere ew so I told myself I go I don't think I want to hike these trails unless it's like really early spring or like kind of late late into the summer into the fall when bugs bugs aren't as prevalent
1: yeah because when you're in a canoe you know you might be looking for like you said just shopping for a campsite and then maybe find one with a nice point with a little breeze blow the bugs off if you're in the woods you're in the bugs
0: yeah no getting away from that
1: and and uh so then how, how far might you get in a day? Do you camp in the same spot and then just hike up and down the trail from that kind of base camp um, to to do the trail clearing if you're there for, for multiple days? Or do you kind of pick up your camp and then once you've done your work in one area, move down to the next?
0: So with uh, trail plan, we always do base camping. So we always get to one spot. Um, and primarily we do that because it just saves on time if we can get a good base camp close enough to the trail we set up there we never have to tear down set up again we don't have to move around and that allows us to cover more ground on the trail we can move faster we can go one direction one day and then decide okay the rest of that looks pretty good we'll come back the next day go the opposite direction Um, and so that that's always been something that's been really helpful and also a lot of the times that we have been doing the trail clearing trip, we're inviting a lot of newbies, people who have e- either never done this before or just never been to the Boundary Waters or only done camp, um, backpacking instead of canoeing. And so I think that kind of takes out the stress and, and overwhelmingness of having to get into this routine of packing, unpacking, um, and not having to travel with all our gear for too long of a distance.
1: And then what kind of gear do you need because you're camping, you're canoeing, and you're also doing this trail clearing work.
0: Mm-hmm. So typically, um, on a canoe trip, will or on the clear tr- trail clearing trip, we will bring most of the things we need on a normal trip. In addition to that, we bring, um, kind of the folding saws and loppets, So like katanas and things like that, things that will be easier to manage while carrying either whether we're paddling or hiking in, um, but other than that, we don't bring that much more gear. You know, we bring the nice glove, leather gloves, just to make sure for safety and things like that. But otherwise, yep, just carrying a, a pair of lopets and a, and a folding saw. What's a loppet? Lopet. They're like giant pruners. So like they're like giant scissors to cut little branches off of trees and things like that.
1: That seems to be just kind of an interesting, different mindset from what I'm used to. Is it like going up there to kind of do, I mean, you're working already by living outside and things like that, but you're also up there doing work. Um, So uh, I I applaud those who would be willing to go and take that on. I mean, I think that's kind of, uh, that's, you're a a hero.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, a lot of people ask me, so you're going up there and then you're working? yeah, <laughs> it's you know it's it's not it's not very common for people to hear that like you're taking an outdoor adventure trip and and there's that goal is not just to like relax or have fun or adventure. it's you're there to maintain stuff. And I think it takes a certain breed of folks to like really feel enticed to do that. And because you know, I've had such great experiences, I for me, I sort of figure, hey, why not keep doing it? Otherwise, who else is going to do it? And I want to enjoy the trail and I want everyone to continue to enjoy the trail as well. And so I got to put in my work so that I can, I feel good about going up there.
1: That's an amazing outlook. We sometimes hear about people who go up and leave a mess in the Boundary Waters, but it's important to remember how many people like you are working to leave it a better place than the way they found it. So thank you for that. We're going to take a short break here, and we'll be right back.
2: Thanks to the dedication of people from across the nation, we've made incredible victories in the fight against copper sulfide mining. For now, we've stopped this polluting industry from putting a shovel in the ground. But the threat is still there. That's why we've been working to pass a prove-it-first bill in Minnesota. The law is simple. Before a copper sulfide mine in Minnesota can be permitted... The PROVE IT FIRST law would require independent scientific proof that just one copper sulfide mine has operated in the United States for at least 10 years without causing pollution and that one mine has been closed for at least 10 years without polluting. It's common sense. Let's protect our clean water. Let's pass the PROVE IT FIRST bill.
1: So, a quick note, you can find out more about Prove It First and other legislation on our website, friends-bwca.org. You can sign our petition and contact your legislators here in Minnesota. We're also going to be hosting a Prove It First Day rally at the Capitol, April 4th, 2023, so please come on down for that to make your voice heard. All right, we're back here with Michelle Kwan talking about trail clearing trips, and once you discovered trail clearing, you started organizing your own trips for others who hadn't experienced the Boundary Waters before. So what kind of experience are you hoping to give those folks who might be having their own first Boundary Waters experience?
0: Yeah, um, when I first started on trail clearing, you know, like I said, I've nev- I have never, had never done this before. I don't even think I've ever been in a canoe before this trip. And so, uh, <laughs> very daring of <laughs> me. Yeah. Um, and so, On those trips, you know, I learned about packing lightweight and about clothing, what kind of clothing I need to wear and how much clothing to bring. In addition to that, you know, there's opportunity because we don't have to make it to a certain point. We don't have to beat the timeline kind of thing. So we kind of take our time and then people can practice portaging the canoe. That's on the trail clearing trip, is when I learned how to portage a canoe. Um, And so teaching people how to paddle too, like I, like, again, I never paddled before. So I learned the J stroke, the C stroke, all of that. And so that's kind of where I learned all of that. And then now as I've kind of shifted more into the leadership roles of doing these trail clearings, I get to do that same thing and pass that information and knowledge along to folks. And what's nice about the trail clearing trip, having newbies on there is that, again, it's a shorter time frame, You know, usually I go up there with my friends for like seven days minimum. We're like, is it really worth it going any less than that? Um, and so we got shorter days. So then people can kind of get a taste of it to see if they even like this type of activity of camping outdoors, not having a car, not having running water and bringing all of your food with you and things like that.
1: So what's your typical day, like when you're up there and you've set up your base camp and then you kind of get up, have breakfast and then get going?
0: Yeah. So the trail clearing trip is what I call probably one of the most easygoing trips I ever have up there. Because, again, we don't have to we don't have this um, we don't have a strict timeline to follow while we're up there. So we go up there, we set up base camp, you know, and we like to have fun. It's one of the reasons why Wendy decided to, we call it our rogue trail clearing team, because some of the other organizations, they you know, because they're an organization, they kind of have these rules and these guidelines. And sometimes the leaders can be very strict and we're like, we're all adults. I think we can decide what we want to do. So when we go up we kind of make it a very fun experience so at night we're kind of hanging around making dinner together sometimes someone will bring desserts too like we love to do um campfire bananas stuff them with marshmallows and chocolate um and then you know sometimes people bring their their liquid encouragement (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's fine and so we sit around a campfire and talk and then the next day Again, it's pretty relaxed. We're not trying to wake up right away at like 7 a.m., pack up and, and start trail clearing. We kind of wake up. And as everybody slowly wakes up, some people wake up earlier than others. And then we kind of get to do our independent thing. We'll, we'll get ready, make breakfast. I've even had some people bring fishing poles up. And so in the morning when everyone's still sleeping, they'll say, oh, everyone's sleeping. Let me just go fish off the shore or even take the boat out for a little bit, um, paddle around And then once we get everybody up and and, and fed we then kind of make a plan okay we're gonna go over here we're gonna access the trail from here and then we're just gonna start walking and start clearing and sometimes the trail needs a lot of work so we're only getting like 20-30 feet because of you know when we did the keck um the burn area where there was literally no trail we looked and it's just all these burnt trees and we had a gps with us to help us kind of gauge where the trail was we didn't get very far that year. Other years, when the trail's pretty well maintained, you know, we're walking a few miles in before we see a tree down and we're cutting it. And sometimes, you know, half the group will stay and help with that, and the rest will just keep moving to find the next area. Usually, we're eating lunch out on the trail too. Um, and again, we're really flexible. One thing we stress a lot about trail clearing is that everyone has to go at their own pace you're not we're not asking you to impress anybody and so and we don't know what your limits are so you have to speak up and we all we stress this every day at the beginning of the trip in the middle of the trip and we tell people if you need a break you just let us know you're going to sit down you're going to hang out for a little bit or if you need to go back early let us know and then we'll figure out who else wants to go back and then you'll go back and you'll go hang out at the camp and relax um and then, you know, again, we have fun on the trail, so sometimes we'll hike to the next lake, and then it's, it's hot, so we'll go for a swim, you know, and things like that. And so it's it's a very relaxed kind of experience. It's not, you know, I don't want people to think trail clearing is you have to work, 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 and move all these big trees. It's kind of go at your own pace, because um, we don't want to carry anybody out.
1: Yeah, you want people to make their own trip out of it, work hard, enjoy themselves, and then maybe come back again the next time, so... What's your favorite part of the day when you're up there trail clearing?
0: I really like the trail clearing aspect of it and getting to see parts of the boundary waters that I normally don't get to see while I am paddling through the boundary waters. So like um, getting to walk on the trail and sometimes you make it up to the top of the ridge and you get to kind of get a different viewpoint of the boundary waters. Now you're high up on the ridge top, getting to look down at some of the lakes and the forest and things like that. And so that's kind of my favorite part of trail clearing is getting to see parts of the boundary waters that I wouldn't normally see during summer when I'm on the water.
1: You know, another favorite time of the day is often time to eat. And the food always tastes a little bit better up there too, right? and we've all got our favorites but um you know you've got this cooking and restaurant background and so can you tell us how you approach dinner time in the boundary waters
0: yeah so um i grew up literally born and raised in a chinese bakery and restaurant my parents lived above the restaurant and so every day i was always around people cooking people baking and just always eating really good food and so food is like part of my love language it's something that drives me every day um, and so having that experience, I do really like to bake and I do really like to cook. Um, and I really like Asian um, inspired foods. And so as I was um, learning how to backpack hike and do boundary water trips, um, some folks taught me about dehydrating your own meals instead of just bringing in ramen and you know, instant potatoes and things like that. I learned that you could eat well while you're on these trips. You don't have to eat junk food you know, all the time. And so I took kind of my, my cooking skills from growing up and, and with my parents teaching me different types of ingredients and things like that. I started making different types of food at home and dehydrating it um, and then bring it on trail. And after I learned how to do that, I will never go back to pre-bought you know, foods or anything like that. Um, and, so, and then as I start to experiment more with the dehydrator and different types of food, one of my favorite things to make now is um, a savory congee. Congee is a rice porridge, um, very traditional and Asian-style food, and we typically eat it for the morning. So it's like, think of oatmeal, but in a savory way. And I hate oatmeal. The only time I eat it is on trail, and when I do bring it, I only eat it maybe one for one breakfast, and after that I go, never again, I don't wanna do that again. And so a couple years ago, I started making a duck congee because the bakery, we make roast duck. And sometimes we have leftover pieces of bone and things like that. And so I turned that into a stock and then used that stock to make my congee. So I get a very rich, flavorful congee. Uh-huh. And then I dehydrated it. And then actually last year on the trail trail clearing trip, I brought it along and had it for breakfast and to have like a nice, heavy, savory breakfast really helps me help me start the day because sometimes I find that sugar, almost you get a crash mid morning and you're like ugh. So that that that's something that I I like to do. Um, and yeah, just being able to eat a, a flavorful, tasty meal at the end of the day too for dinner. I really like doing curries and chilies and stuff like that for. For dinner
1: uh, so when you're trail clearing your food packing might be more self-contained right especially if you don't know anyone in the trip so um, as a group leader how do you navigate that especially with a new person who might not have packed a meal for camping before
0: what sometimes happens is like when i invite a friend up and they've never done anything like this before um, i'll kind of invite them over to my house and i'll kind of sit down and talk to them like Typically people go on these trips and these are the types of food they bring. This is how we pack it. This is how much food you should expect. And depending on, you know, who that person is, if they trust me and my cooking, I'll say, Hey, maybe I'll make a double dinner for one or two nights and then you could share a dinner with me. But you just take care of breakfast and lunch for yourself. Because I know for me, at least when I first started food, like knowing what to pack and how much was very overwhelming. Because, you know, as a city kid, you're like, I won't have access to food. What if I run out? Yeah. And over the years, you learn you don't need half the amount of food that you end up bringing up on this tri- on these trips. And so on trail clearing, typically, if it's new people that I'm bringing along, I will kind of walk through it with them and then kind of gauge how comfortable they feel about bringing their own dinners. And if, if they don't feel comfortable, I'm more than happy to make a meal.
1: So... Now you've gone through this change in your family's business where you've closed the restaurant and now you're kind of, you know, shaking that off and looking for what's next. Um, and you're very passionate about these boundary waters and wilderness trips and cooking. So how do, they, how, how do you move forward with these things? Um, what are your thoughts on that right now as you're kind of moving through it?
0: These outdoor adventure trips have always been something that I know I want to continue to do in my life. And as I've done more trail clearing trips in the past few years, trying to get, um, create groups of BIPOC folks to come up, I realized that as I transition my career, that's um, a path that I want to continue to do. Whether I do that as a volunteer basis or make an actual career out of it, I haven't quite decided how I want to go do that. But as I have been doing some of these trips, I've also noticed that I have this knack for cooking and and, and making tasty food that is lightweight and easy to carry. Um, And so I've had people kind of suggest maybe even going down the path of creating my own dehydrated backpacking meal um, business. Using some of, whether it's like finding ways of taking some of the recipes and food from my parents' restaurant and making those into dehydrated meals, but the focus would be having more Asian-inspired meals for people to choose from, especially people with dietary restrictions, whether it's gluten, dairy, soy, and things like that. Just kind of trying to be more conscious of that and using also more local ingredients, being more vegetarian, vegan focused as well. Um, I'm not a vegan or vegetarian, but I tend to eat more vegan, vegetarian options while I'm up there just because it's, it's easier. Um, but I still want to make sure we get that protein to make sure that we can continue to move while we're up there. Um, and so that's kind of where that's leading me. In addition to that, like this year specifically, I am trying to, on my own, just be like a, a small group leader to get folks who have shown interest to me in going up to the Boundary Waters. Because I know before I started going up there how important it was to have Wendy, you know, she's my mentor, I consider her my mentor now, um, but to have her show me what the boundary waters is like she helped me with a lot of the gear that first trip she showed me you know what you need what you don't need she walked me through my packing list and how much food to bring what are my options Um, because of that resource it made my experience up there that much more enjoyable because i had someone explaining to me step by step what i need to do Um, And knowing that there's probably a lot of people like me in the cities here who either have lived there their whole life Or have never really gone out into the wilderness because of whatever things obstacles that's keeping them from going up there Whether it's the expense of getting gear or even just getting up there transportation or safety this feeling of feeling like They can feel safe up there or even not even knowing how to navigate or survive, like the basic survival skills. Um, And so as I'm continually to meet folks in the cities and telling them what I like to do and them showing interest, I've just kind of realized that there are a lot of people out here right now that want to go out into the wilderness, but don't have the resources. And so if I could be that buffer, if I could be that connection or that bridge, um i want to do that and so this year my goal is to bring up maybe two or three smaller groups whether it's like two or three of us or four of us depending on how many experienced paddlers we have um i want to do that i want to create that opportunity and you know Livu here at the friends she does the same thing she has you know a lot of gear to loan out and so you know i if i have those connections i want to be able to kind of connect people so that we can continue to diversify the outdoors because when I was younger I also thought that outdoors was not where I want to be. I was like I'm a city kid I don't want to be out with the bugs but when I went up to the Boundary Waters that first time it felt very therapeutic and it clicked in me to realize this is why people come out to nature it really resets us it takes us out of all that extra stimulus that's happening with our everyday life whether it's the billboards the tvs our phones the computers Um, once we get out there we forget that that stuff even existed we don't you know when i'm out there i don't even really take pictures because i don't even want to look at my phone my phone is off i don't care i don't want to touch anything that has to do with that Um, And so I want some of the folks who are like, oh, that's not for me, but who have never been out there to really see, like, is this really not for you? Or do you think society has been just kind of pushed you away from it because of how, you know, historically that's just what it's been like?
1: Mm -hmm. You said something really interesting there about the obstacles that BIPOC people may have experienced that may have kept folks from experiencing or even having a preference for the outdoors. Um, whether it's historic circumstances and forms of segregation or even that feeling of safety and security, not being there. Can you talk more about that and tell me what your experience has been? Mm
0: -hmm. Well, the first thing I think about is historically, you know, having certain, you know, national parks, folks of color weren't allowed to go to those places, swimming pools and things like that. And when I think about that psychologically, you hear a lot of certain folks are like, "Oh, I don't, I don't go outside. I don't go swimming," and and I ask them, "Oh, have you ever done this before?" And they're like, "Well, no, but I know I don't like it." And as I was, you know, when I was in college, I was speaking to a couple of um, of, of my professors in African American studies, and they mentioned they said, "Well, it's because it's been ingrained in us, you know, our grandparents, great grandparents. They weren't allowed to those to go into those places, and even when they were, and they tried to." You know, there were groups of people who were angry and upset with that when when segregation ended and and black folks started going to swimming pools and things like that. There were groups of people who didn't like that and didn't appreciate that. So there's a lot of trauma that comes from that historically through generation. And so that totally makes sense why grandparents and parents will say, no, we don't go outside. No, we don't go do these things. Um, And for me personally, I haven't really experienced it myself, but just through talking with my friends and saying, oh, you guys, we should go on a hike, we should go camping, they're like, in the woods? What if there's someone out there doing this? And and I understand that fear, but also I think, again, it's that psychological where we've been told there are people out there trying to harm us in these places. And if we're out there, no one's there to protect us. And even if maybe a police officer or someone does show up, they may or may not even believe us. We don't know what is going to happen out there. So we're going to stay within our community, within our safe space, knowing that we have people that have our back. When we go out into these spaces, our people aren't out there. And so that's kind of where I kind of get a lot of that information from, because I never understood why people didn't want to go out to the outdoors, you know, after I experienced it, I was like, oh my God, it's great. But again, um, I am, I think the way I see it is I kind of am this buffer. You know, people don't, historically, Chinese people aren't threatening, right? And so when I go into more of a white space, I get looks, don't get me wrong. When I go up north, sometimes even to Grandma Ray, people kind of look at me, they're like, what is that person doing up here, you know? And I'm usually one of the only, if not just a few, folks of color up in those spaces. I feel safe there, but I totally understand why some of my other friends don't, because historically, you know, through generations of being told certain things, and sometimes my parents do that too, they're like, so you're going in the middle of the woods. Aren't you scared? Do you need protection and all those things? Um, and, and I don't feel that way, but I understand. And so I, that's why I want to be that buffer. I want to be able to stand up for people who feel intimidated. Or even sometimes there is aggression. I've been in outdoor spaces where I'm with a group of BIPOC folks. Someone doesn't like what someone's doing. Maybe they're, they weren't doing the right thing but being verbally attacked. And we are all in the wilderness. We don't know what this person has. We don't know what's happening. So me having to stand in between and calm everybody down, I've done that a few times. And I can understand why my friends would be like, oh my God, I'm never doing that again. I don't want to experience that ever again. And so that's why I think it's so important to show people that, It can be this and it's individual people. It's not it has nothing to do with the outdoors. It has more to do with individual people. But as we move along, as as I've been out in the outdoors more and more, um, I've experienced that less and less over the over the past few years. I know like, you know, a couple years ago there was a couple of instances as more people were going outdoors. More BIPOC folks were saying, "Hey, let's do these new things. Let's go on these new adventures because we can't go out and hang out at the restaurants and bars in the cities. Let's go out to the wilderness, and then running into conflict and confrontation, um, and then that gets broadcasted, and then that creates again more fear. And it, you know, it's I, I don't want to say that you know when we broadcast this across our media outlets is." to you know we want people to know what's happening but also I think it creates that fear in in certain folks when they say, see this is why I don't go outdoors. Um and so I think like as we move forward I want to see that transition and Emily Ford is a great example and you know I look up to her too. I've met her once and hearing what she does and she does a lot of these hikes to kind of expose Um, more diversity outdoors too and it's and so that kind of drives me to also want to break down that barrier it's not just me seeing it other folks are seeing it especially BIPOC folks who do love the outdoors they are also experiencing either the same thing or they also know that it's happening out there and they want they want to change that because they want we all want to see we want to see everybody out there. We're not trying to say it needs to be just one way or the other. We just want to make sure that this earth really is for all of us cuz there's no, you know, there there isn't one that's better than the other. Earth is for all humans and we are all humans at the end of the day. At the end of the day, we all eat, we all put on our pants the same way and that's that's I just want to make sure that we we continue to see the outdoors that way as
1: well. Well, I'd love to see you keep being that person, and that's how we feel here at Friends of the Boundary Waters. We want to reach beyond and make sure that people who may not have experienced the wilderness can at least take that first step towards that experience. Um, You know, we want there to be no boundaries to the Boundary Waters. What can we all do to keep that moving forward?
0: I really think it's education on both sides, right? As BIPOC folks, as we go out into the wilderness, you know, we wanna learn all of this and we wanna teach each other how to leave no trace, be respectful of the wilderness because maybe some people have not experienced this and so they don't really know how do we treat our wilderness to make sure that it's continuing to stay the way that it is for our future generations, right? But it goes the other way as well because sometimes maybe what certain folks don't think is hostile attitude or behavior feels very hostile to the other group. And so, you know, my my thing is let's not take offense when someone tells us that what they're doing feels hostile. It's maybe you're not intentionally doing that, but I'm letting you know. And instead of getting de- defensive and saying, "Well, da 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 da," I just want everyone to kind of hear each other and understand each other because we're all really We're all here doing the same thing. We're all trying to survive. We're all trying to make the best out of what life throws at us. And, and the wilderness really gives us that peace. You know, nature does that for us. And, you know, when I think of some of my wife friends, when I was younger, a lot of my wife friends, they would go camping and all this stuff. And I go, what, why would you guys do that? And once I got out there and actually did it, I go, it is relaxing. It is peaceful. You know, like I was saying, I do, I work a lot. I'm on my hands and, you know, I work on my feet all day. But when I do take my trips, it's always outdoors. It's always backpacking, canoeing. And people ask me, you work all day, long hours on your feet and you're relaxing or your downtime, your vacation time is going to the outdoors and working out there. And I say, but it doesn't feel that way. There's some peace that comes with being in the outdoors and and that's when that light bulb clicked for me it's like that's why certain groups of people come out here and do that and i want to make sure everyone knows that it's not just for them it's for everyone and so so let's go out there and get that fresh air like the air in in the wilderness it smells sweeter you know drinking the water from the lakes in the boundary waters the water there tastes good
1: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> How have you been able to connect with people that are more diverse and interested in going to the Boundary Waters or on trail clearing trips?
0: Uh, first, on the there's a Facebook page called Twin, uh, BIPOC Twin Cities Outdoor. Um, and I heard of that through a couple of friends. Um, and that page is specifically for BIPOC folks who want to get into the outdoors or, or who are versed in the outdoors, but are looking for more BIPOC folks to go and do things with. Um, And they offer lots of different events and things happening, whether it's um, through an organization or sometimes it's just a couple of folks saying, hey, I wanna play tennis. Who wants to come out to the parks with me and and do this? So it's like whether it's organization groups or individuals getting together. um, And so that's the first time a couple years ago where I posted about the woman's trip getting um, BIPOC women out with us. And then the next year I decided to offer the trail clearing trip, things like that. And so I've met a lot of people through that. And that's also where I got connected with Lee because she goes, hey, I work at the Friends. Uh Um, Let's sit down and talk about what Friends can do to help me kind of continue to facilitate these trips and things like that. Um, And then in addition to that Facebook page, um, just kind of getting out there and talking to folks when I was running the bakery and um, Pete did the article with me in it, uh, he dropped off a couple copies. I just left it open at the bakery and as people are waiting for food, they read about it. And, and I got a couple of interested folks who said, hey, this is really cool that you do that. And I got emails through that and, and folks are going to you know try to make a trip out of that with me. Um, and then also just talking to my own community and my own group of friends. Like for example, yesterday, my friends and I went bouldering and they had brought someone who's never been bouldering before this young Somali lady. And we just started chit chatting and I was like, yeah, I do boundary water trips. And she goes, oh, I just recently heard about that place. It sounds really cool, but none of my friends know how to do anything like that. And she goes, and I would never go out there by myself. And I said, Here's my number. Let me know when you want to go this summer. And if you got a, one or two friends that want to come with, let me know and I'll, I'll take you up there.
1: That's so fantastic that you're doing that.
0: To get in touch with me, you know, folks could either uh, email me or even find me on the BIPOC uh, outdoor page. Like I said, I post about a lot of the trips. And then um, probably this summer, I'll post about some options. If folks want to do something, we can connect through there and then maybe get a small group together. Um, Wilderness Inquiry also has some options too where they do specifically um, BIPOC or a mixture or even queer inclusive um, um, options. I know every or at least last year they had a couple of trips um, whether it's just adults or adults like families and it's nice because they have a couple of options where it's like backpacking in where you kind of move through a couple of different spaces some of them people who are less experienced or less mobile they'll have base camping trips as well. I guess like my biggest kind of message I want to share with folks is that the wilderness and the outdoor space is for everyone. No matter what anybody tells you or no matter what history has taught us, it is for everyone and I think that There's a reason why there was a time where we weren't accepted in those spaces is because these are very precious places and I want folks of color to know that there is an opportunity to go out there and we can find safe ways to be out there and and so I don't want folks to feel deterred to going out into the wilderness because it is a very, very peaceful place and it is a great place to really center yourself and to really find yourself because There's nothing better than to be with your own thoughts for two hours while hiking. (laughs) You process through a lot. And so I think folks who feel like any kind of obstacle that's keeping them from getting out there, whether it's getting the gear, you don't have to buy everything. You don't know how to find a trail. You don't have to know all of that stuff. You, You don't have the survival skills. You don't have to know any of that to get out there find a friend, talk to people, go to these resources like the Facebook outdoor pages and wilderness inquiry and things like that and talk to community members. You could even go to, I know REI has some options too. They're, they're trying really hard to focus on getting BIPOC folks outdoors. Um, go to the outfitters you know, in, in, in your city or town and get to know people, talk to people and get more information and, and find a friend who wants to be adventurous and, and and get out there and experience it because it would be, it's very rewarding. And I want everyone to get out there and and at least have one experience. I'm not saying that you'll be like me and go crazy, um, doing all these big long trips, but I, I think it's very rewarding and maybe even starting small, doing a day hike at, the state parks, going car camping. You know, one of the great things about car camping is you have everything with you. And if you don't like it, you can jump in your car and drive home.
1: And you got wheels, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for all you've done to introduce new people to the outdoors and for the work you've done to leave the Boundary Waters a better place than when you found it. It's so fun to hear about how much the wilderness resonates with you and how you're all about sharing it.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me because I think um, this is really important information to, I think, share with with people. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time and and talking with me.
1: And to our listeners, if you were inspired by what you heard from Michelle, we're partnering with the Forest Service to offer some trail clearing opportunities this summer. You can find out more information and sign up on our website at friends-bwca.org. We'll also have links to the BIPOC Outdoors Twin Cities group Michelle talked about. And thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be covering a wide range of recreational topics this season from hiking trails to tips and tricks. And we'll meet some great personalities from the BWCA along the way. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing.
2: Almost 50 years ago, a group of friends met at a diner and began to organize a movement. They formed a group dedicated to preserving the pristine waters and forests of northeastern Minnesota. Through grassroots organizing, they helped pass the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness Act, which protected the Boundary Waters for future generations. Today, that organization, Friends of the Boundary Waters, continues its work to protect, preserve, and restore this cherished wilderness Whether it's through fighting toxic mining proposals at the edge of the Boundary Waters or introducing the next generation to the wonders of the BWCA, our strength is in our members. It is in you. To learn more and find out how you can join this community today, please visit www.friends-bwca.org.